Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. A new report that is looking at global cancer cases and new diagnoses of cancer in the year 2020. It is a global study and it is estimating 740,000 new cancer diagnoses last year alone that are strictly linked to alcohol consumption. We've been in a pandemic. We've been in... um, you know, uncharted territory for all of us. Many people, obviously, in this country and in other parts of the world in lockdown. We know about, um, obviously, the Irish affection and association with alcohol. And, you know, in a pandemic, it seemed to me, looking at, you know, friends, family, people's social media feeds, commentary on the radio and TV, it was almost like split down the middle. Half hit the drink and half completely went the other way and embraced health and fitness um, and are probably still on that journey and doing very well. If I'm honest, I was probably in the former category than the latter category. But all of the messaging that we're hearing Um, And it's very serious messaging, including that WHO recommendation that women of childbearing age just don't drink alcohol. We're hearing more and more about uh, the devastating effects, particularly on women and younger women at that. There was a a very stark piece in The Examiner um, a couple of months ago, which quoted um, a gastroenterologist at Tala Hospital um, in Dublin, saying that um, when he became a doctor 17 years ago, he saw patients dying of liver failure, but they were men in their 60s. Now they're women and women in their 40s and women even as young as 26 being treated for uh, liver disease caused by chronic alcohol consumption. So to discuss this, Una McKinney is Head of Communications and Advocacy of Alcohol Action Ireland and joins me on the line. Una, thanks for um, making yourself available to talk to us today. All of the messaging is very sinister and all of the messaging is very scaremongering. What are the statistics? Because I'm aware that in actual fact, the Irish consumption of alcohol had been dropping pre-pandemic and for quite a number of years before it. I'm looking at my uh, teenagers who don't drink alcohol and their friends who don't drink alcohol. And I have a friend who's actually a, um, a, a, a lecturer in Trinity. He says that like, you know, on social occasions, it's the lecturers who are drinking, not the students. So it looks as though, certainly from the outside, that we maybe don't have such a chronic problem with alcohol in this country anymore. Yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there. So hopefully we can get through some of this um um, and, and yes, I think there is some degree of scaremongering in, in much of the headlines that we see around alcohol and none better than, you know, you highlighted the WHO issue. Um, and there was a lot of negative headlines around the WHO's um, commentary. But, um, you know, I think the, what we say, if we just look back at the global picture, yes, I think since like we had a really big spike and peak in relation to alcohol use towards the the early part of this century. Um, And that was largely driven by, I suppose, a a hedonistic period in Ireland that we formerly used to call the Celtic Tiger. And we, you know, we we did drink a huge amount at that time. So that spike, 
that was around 2001 was, you know, what was called over about 14 and a half litres of pure alcohol per person. Now, we have undoubtedly climbed, you know, reduced our drinking in that period. But I suppose specifically for the last decade or so, we know that it has continuously shaped up at around 10 and a half, 11 litres per capita per year. Now, what does that look like for people? So to try and give that perspective, you know, the global average is about six, just over six litres. And if we were to uh, drink according to what are the low risk guidelines, in other words, minding your health and still consuming alcohol, uh, we'd actually be drinking around seven litres of alcohol per year. So you can see that we have a big problem in so much as that we're we're significantly out from what our global averages and what our low risk guidelines in relation to alcohol use and trying to protect your health. So that's the reality in that context. Now, you know, I think that what they today is the latest report really, and this is from the Global Burden of Disease, and this is a really, really significant study and the people who conduct these studies you know, they're not, this isn't just a, a kind of a, a once-off isolated piece of data here. This is a really big, serious piece of data. And the global burden of diseases informs health policy globally on a whole variety of issues. So this is just a, a most recent one. A few weeks ago, there was one on tobacco. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, these are really serious players. And what it does demonstrate is, yet again, which is the proven fact is that alcohol is a known carcinogen. Like that's a that's a simple fact. And what they're simply saying is that if you're consuming alcohol in what they call heavy, which is only six standard drinks a day, um, you you know you really are running the risk of of developing some degree of cancer. And that's what they're saying. And even in the context of moderate and light use, obviously it falls off, but there is a significant risk now. Do we understand that risk? Do we do we know about that risk? I don't think we do. Well, that was that was my 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 next question was obviously you know people understand maybe that Mm. uh, that if you're if you're drinking alcohol and if you're drinking alcohol heavily and regularly that you first in the first instance I would imagine most people's concern is becoming dependent. Uh, Secondly, then it would be things like the liver that I've mentioned. People always equate that they don't Mm. necessarily see it as a as a cause of cancer. No, that's a traditional view. You see. I mean, we, we we work off essentially historical view in relation to how we think alcohol is doing its harm. But, you know, the reality of alcohol harm in Ireland is much more stark. You know, we are we're losing definitively in observable deaths. The health, the health research board will show over a thousand people a year. That's three people a day. Now, what does that look like? What that looks like is two of those people are dying from alcohol related illness. And one of those people is dying from alcohol-related incident and accident. So, you know, again, so, we, you know, people who trip and fall, drowned, burning fires, all of those sort of things. Mm-hmm. That's, what's, that's the other reality of it. So, you know, and in our hospitals, you know, just to kind of give people a perspective, of, and then this is, this is real data, you know, one in ten of the beds in our hospitals are being occupied by people who have alcohol-related illness. And in the context of covid if we, you know, we've become, we became during COVID acutely aware of the currency of ICU beds and how important they were. Yep. But in reality, one in five of those 
ICU beds, the 300 that exist in the country, are occupied by people with alcohol, chronic alcohol-related fatal illness. But everybody, I think an awful lot of people in this country, because it's oh. it's 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 part of our culture, I mean, and it is. Yeah, well, you know, it yeah, really I, is ingrained in our culture. What yeah, do we do when that? we have when we have friends or relatives over? We go to yeah, the pub why? maybe and combine it with some trad music or whatever. But nonetheless, it's the yeah. pub. When we've people yeah. over, what do we do? We drink. When we have a communion or a confirmation, what do we do? Oh, it's all why? it all revolves around around alcohol. But I don't. Yeah. I think people. There is some sort of a disconnect and, and maybe because there's never been proper public health programs yeah. in relation to these stats, we yep. see advertising to, you know, drink aware and to, you know, consider your alcohol consumption and to drink responsibly. But do we actually even know what responsible drinking is? I mean, you mentioned there the different units that at the height of the Celtic Tiger per capita, it was 14.5 litres of pure alcohol. Oh. And that 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 six, six standard drinks per day was one of the other figures. What is six standard drinks per day? Uh, you know, you have an awful oh. lot of people who maybe might have a glass of wine or two or three in the evening, or oh. they might have two pints after the, after they, they've done their day's work. But they might only do that two days a week. And then at the weekend, it'll be a bottle of wine and a six pack of beers. Is that responsible drinking or irresponsible drinking? Because I think sometimes we just don't know. For us, for some people, it's normal to have a bottle of wine on a Friday night. I'm sure an awful lot of women, particularly who are listening to this programme, would have a bottle of wine on a Friday night and they might even start and get one or two glasses into a second one. Well, I think, again, if we can just unpack a couple of things there, you're right. Like in Ireland, there is very little messaging, public messaging in relation to alcohol harm. Um, what we do have is we have this small little line that is this uh, ambiguous language that appears on all alcohol advertisements, which says drink responsibly, which is a completely you, um, uh, ambiguous term. Nobody knows what responsible means because everybody has different levels of responsibility. And so, you know, that, that idea of messaging is frankly utterly useless. What is, what is required is a progressive campaign around trying to inform people of the risk around alcohol. And so, you know, at the moment, you, you brought up about why do we have this culture? Well, you know, the culture that we have is largely, I would argue, a fabricated culture because it costs the alcohol industry a huge amount of money to actually sustain that culture. You know, we, in 2019, the alcohol industry spent over $100 million in this country in promoting and marketing alcohol. Now, that's a huge amount of money. The, the equivalent in terms of health promotion would be an absolute fraction of 1% in the context of that kind of spend. So for every message people are hearing about harm, they're hearing around 400 messages that are actually telling them that there's no risk to their life and that everything is going to be fine and that you'll have a much better and enjoyable life if you have alcohol. Mm. So that's, that's, the, that's the paradox. Now, you're, you're right. I mean, people don't understand standard drinks, and that's because, you know, we don't actually tell them what it is, is a standard drink. If you look at any product in the supermarket or any product you buy, it doesn't explain how many standard drinks are in that product. And just for your listeners' sake to understand that in a bottle of wine, for example, there are at least seven standard drinks in a bottle of wine. So when people sit down and open a bottle of wine and maybe, you know, share it amongst three or four people and think they've only had a glass of wine, they haven't. They've had at least probably 
two standard drinks in the or, context or, of holiday. Or more likely, when you sit down and you drink a bottle of wine, you think you've had four glasses. You haven't. You think you've had, had four drinks. Yeah, you've had seven standard drinks in a bottle of wine. And is that something that's changed? And, you know, I mean, I refer back... Uh, to to the doctor who was quoted in the yeah. uh, from Tala Hospital, who was quoted as saying, you know, he's seen chronic the liver disease, disease. women yeah. dying of liver disease in their forties and being treated for it as young as in their twenties. Yeah. Is this because years ago, if you wanted to drink, we went to the pub, whereas now with I, you know, now I think it's it's more common probably to drink at home than it is to actually go out. Yeah, and I think what's happened is we've seen what COVID has done is it has really accelerated that difficulty, you know, because we essentially substituted all of our all of our drinking in the pubs to drinking at home. You know, the actual alcohol um, level of use of alcohol in the country fell by about 6% during COVID. But in actual fact, the pubs and the restaurants and the clubs were closed for 40, 42 weeks in the year. So we would have expected to see um, about a third reduction in alcohol use, but we didn't. And so, you know, what you see is that that, that transfer and, and in the context of drinking that alcohol at home, largely, it is obviously unregulated and uncontrolled. And so people are undoubtedly drinking more. And to take the point about the, the liver disease, and again, without boring people completely with statistics, you know, women, alcohol, alcohol-related liver disease has increased by about 150% in Ireland amongst women over the last 20 years, but it's increased by 250% amongst men. And, you know, since the early 1970s, mortality rate from alcohol-related liver disease has gone up 400-fold. So we have a real, there's a real problem of what we do is we we simply drink too much too often. And what we need to understand is that we need to really scale that back if we really want to reduce the level of harm to our health and the harm to others. And but that's really the message, you know. What the detractors will say, it's their body, their life, they can do what they want and that this kind of discussion that you and I are having is lectury, oh. it's nanny status, uh, uh, yeah, you know. And that, yeah. well, but, I'm, but I mean, that, that playing devil's advocate, that's, yeah. you know, the type yeah, of no, response that, yeah. that quite often this type of conversation that, that you might have, um, you know, I in a, in a public forum, you know, yeah. I, sure, look, it's up to me. If I want but to drink a bottle of wine or if I want to drink six cans on a Tuesday night while I'm watching the soccer, let me do that. It's up to me. Yeah, there's no question that people have the right to exercise what they choose in relation to their health and in relation to their alcohol use. That's an individual choice. But unfortunately, the problem is when you get into the situation of these alcohol-related harms, it isn't the individual that's paying for this. Society is paying for this, and, and they're the and, individual people. And, and that, so, that was sorry. The know, next, the next question I wanted to ask you is: is the hmm. the impact on society? I mean, there was hmm. a social media campaign the other evening, uh, last Sunday during the Euro um, final. Uh, yeah. in the UK and we're going to be talking about domestic violence a little bit later in the programme yeah, but, exactly, but, yeah. but but there you go and so there well, was a, there was a campaign um, on online a social media campaign you know a sh- a, that a, the rates of domestic violence escalate hugely when there is well, a big event like that uh, obviously you're drawing a parallel and you're presuming that you know there's a, there's alcohol being 
consumed and that's fueling it in part at least. So we have a societal impact there. We have a societal impact on children, I presume, who are who are living with hugely with parents hugely. who who you know they may view that they're not drinking irresponsibly and they're just having a, a couple of jars at home. What other societal cost? Obviously, the health, the, you know, the, the health service, yeah, well, let's, those ICU let's beds let's, you spoke yeah. about. Hmm. Let's unpack that just a little bit. So at the moment, we're spending about 1.8, 1.9 billion in our health service to cover the healthcare management costs of those with alcohol-related illness. As I say, one in five ICU beds, extremely expensive care in relation to those individuals. One in 10 in every bed in public hospitals. Again, everybody knows the cost of what it costs to stay in a hospital. And these are long stays. The average stay for someone with alcohol-related illness in our hospital is 10 days. In ICU, it can be six weeks, and normally that's fatal. Um, So, you know, you're talking about a huge cost in terms of the public health expenditure. But beyond that, obviously, there is significant costs in education, in social protection, in justice, as you talked about, in terms of um, domestic violence, and other related matters like public health, uh, public disorder, public uh, um, violence in the streets, um, people are feared, mugged, robbed, all of these other aspects that are taking place, all because of alcohol-related uh, harms. In part, this, at this least. Is, in part. That is totaling that is totaling to somewhere around 3.6 billion per annum in Ireland. So, you know, and people will say, oh, well, what about the taxes that are raised or the excise duties? Yes. Well, the excise duty in Ireland ra- raises about 1.1 billion, 1.2 billion in Ireland. That's 30% of what the actual cost is. So the alcohol industry actually gets away entirely scot-free in relation to what the cost of the harm to society is. Because remember, the consumer is paying for the excise duty, largely. They're not, you know, it's not the, the alcohol producer. The alcohol producers pay nothing for the harm that which they cause. Now, one of the things that you advocate for is um, minimum unit pricing. We've been told it's coming yeah. in. Scotland have been waiting for it. Jesus, it must be nearly 10 years now. We had Minister or former Minister Shane Ross come out recently and discuss his drinking and was oh. saying that at the, t- at the point in time when he, when he was drinking dysfunctionally, uh, oh. the price wouldn't have mattered a bit to him. It, you know, if you're going to drink, you're going to drink. If I'm yeah. paying six euro for a bottle of wine, look, it goes, if it goes up to seven, you know, who cares? If I want a bottle of wine, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, well, a lot of that comes back to what we, talk, what we talked about in the beginning of this interview, and that is people's understanding. People think that the only harm that's going to arise in relation to any excessive use of alcohol is addiction. And Shane Ross has fallen into the exact same facile argument. Our problem in alcohol in Ireland, of course, we have a cohort of people who are dependent or suffering from severe alcohol use disorders. But the, the real problem, the real crunch of our problem is that half of the people who drink in Ireland, and there's about 2.9 million people who drink, half of us have a hazardous problem with alcohol. Like that's the scale of what we're talking about. And how do we the know HR- that? How do you know HR- that? How do you have those figures? The HRB, the Health Research Board, produced a report last week, which didn't get a huge amount of coverage because it predominantly featured people focused on the drug, uh, the illicit drug side of it rather than alcohol. And they're analysis of the uh, national prevalence and usage study which was conducted in 2014 but it's only reporting now 2014-2015 showed that 578,000 people in this country have an alcohol use disorder. Now that is 
shocking stuff. And and in the in the scale of that, like any disorder, there are it is a spectrum. You can have a moderate, you can have a light mm. and a severe. But in that context, that's the scale of what we're so we so we union, fundamentally, so, so fundamentally union, miss the point in relation to our health and our well being. Those figures are stark. Mm. Two point nine million drinkers, half of which five hundred and seventy eight thousand have some form of alcohol misuse disorder and, and are drinking in a dysfunctional or unhealthy way, if we if we term exactly. it like that. So what's the answer? How do we sort it? How do we fix it? Why well, is it taking so long, start, but how do we fix it? Okay, well we could start by matching the alcohol industry in relation to health promotion messaging. That so would be spend a start. the money that they're spending on advertising. Yeah, that would be a start. We could start by actually providing sufficient, available, timely services for people so that people can actually get treated for these particular disorders. Uh, that would be a huge help. And in the context of the actual legislative kind of framework that exists in relation to some of these matters, which is the Public Health Alcohol Act, which introduced minimum unit pricing, by the by, or will introduce it come January 2022, um, we could implement all of the measures in relation to that act that are in the in the legislation. But of course, we haven't implemented all those measures. And if we were, we could make a significant, the, the target or the objective of that uh, piece of legislation, which was took a decade to pass, by the way, um, is to reduce alcohol consumption by 20% over seven years. Now, that's a real, that is a realistic target, but we can only do that if we put in place the measures. Like the minimum unit pricing was meant to be introduced three years ago. And yeah. we know that minimum unit pricing will make a significant difference to two particular cohorts in relation to alcohol use. Those who drink the heaviest and those who are um, the largely the younger people who are a little uh, f- featured on uh, getting the greatest bang for their buck in relation to the purchasing of alcohol. Okay. And we know that the data from Scotland supports that. You know, and we and we've seen it in other countries as well. Okay, Union Union McKinney and friend, we're we're out of time. We have to leave thank it there. You. But thank you very much for uh, for for giving us some of the the background there. In terms, where do you stand with those those numbers and those statistics, those figures, the amount of pure alcohol that we're drinking, the number of people, five hundred and seventy eight thousand people in this country who have some form of. Um, bad relationship, very bad relationship with alcohol, does it make any impact on you? Minimum unit pricing, is it going to stop you picking up that bottle of wine maybe on a Tuesday night as you head home from work? Is it going to stop you picking up the six pack? Does Or, or, or is it no one else's business? Is it just, you know, your body, your choice, you do what you like and you're going to, to drink regardless of, of what impact it has, either in terms of the health service, your own personal health and fitness um, and society as a greater whole. Let us know what you think. Tara Duggan in the chair for Niall Boylan. Today we've been discussing or we're about to discuss um, Ireland's uh, issues with alcohol. Do we have it? Is it overstated? Is it just normal? Is it what we do? Or are we heading for absolute disaster because of our continued reliance and over-dependence on alcohol? We want to know what you think and we want to hear your stories in relation to it, you know, in, in terms of you know, are you fed up being lectured to? Should you just be allowed to do what you want to do? Or are we as a society walking ourselves into complete disaster by failing to wake up to this issue? Carol joins me on the Nile Boylan Show. Carol, uh, talk to me about your uh, opinion and, and your story uh, with relation to alcohol. Hi, Tara. How are you? Um, 
Well, you know, it's lecturing somebody who may have a drink problem is not going to get anywhere, for starters, because if somebody has a drink problem, they're not going to address it themselves. They're going to ignore it and drink more, you know, and I speak from experience. Um, but for me, um, I didn't start drinking alcoholically until I, I was later in, in, in years. Um, and it took off like a rocket, you know. I couldn't stop once it started. I couldn't stop and I didn't want to stop and I became in love with it. And I loved the feeling of all my problems being away from me and nothing was going on around me once I had my drink. Um, sadly, is making a long story short, it, it, it rendered me in hospital for seven weeks. I lost my walk. Um, I had to learn to walk again and now on a walking stick. I'm coming up on six years um, sober and you know what? I'm actually a grateful alcoholic today because now I can live. I wasn't living. I was drinking. I was existing. But I wasn't living. And today, yeah, I have physical things wrong with me. And yes, it's down to alcohol. And I've no one else to blame. But I'm alive. But as regards alcohol and people, people are going to make their own judgment call. People are going to ignore stats and numbers. And they're going, I mean, I can actually sit here and say, well, where are you getting those numbers from? But yet I can go into an AA room and I can tell you, you know, they're there. They're there. And it's a problem. And and a more widespread one, do you think, Carol, than, than we want to admit individually think, and from, as a, from, from the point of view of a society as a I, whole? I think it's individual. I really genuinely believe in my heart to heart it's individual. And that's not slating or knocking anybody. I, I believe everybody is different. I believe alcohol can hijack somebody. You know, you're in it before you realise you're in it. You're doing it before you realise you're doing it. And then there's no way out. And Carol, you know, what, what you said, you, you, you started drinking later. So it wasn't like you grew up as a teenager who socialised no, and drank alcohol. I would have been, uh, well, I never grew up with alcohol. Um, but You didn't have it around you as a, as a family either. No, 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 no. I certainly made up for that. Um, but my younger years were just, for the want of a better word, normal drinking. I could go out or I could not go out. But it was when I kind of hit my 40s mm-hmm. and realised various different things and issues that happened to me in life just came crashing down around me. And it was, that's where I went. Without me realising after a few months, I was at it every day. And can I ask you, Carol, and you don't have to answer anything that you're mm-hmm. not, any question you're not comfortable with, how much were you drinking? In the end, let's just say it was more than five or six bottles a day of wine. Right. <laughs> and did did the people around you try to reach out to you and talk to you? Did you know yourself that you... I did. You'd I gone did. too I far. Did. And it had gone too far. Yeah, I did. I did. But I was in that headspace of self-loathing and, and self-hatred and, you know, wanting to not wake up, but to chicken to go away and kill myself. Mm. Um, I was in that dark black hole. And yes, there were people that, that, that reached out to me and, and loved me. And I still have them today in my life, thank God, my family. But there was no listening, you know. They were talking, but I wasn't listening. And the more they talked, the more I drank. And the more then I realised, I don't have a problem. What are they talking about? And were you so able to function and and exist 
drinking that uh, amount of alcohol? I mean, were you able to work or were you able to like, you know, do the laundry and cook dinner and, you know, just perform the normal functions of everyday life? Were you able to have a shower and wash your hair? No, not in the end. No, and I'm being honest. And, and, and this is why I, I often speak about the physical side of things because people don't talk about it. I said to Ashley, you know, people talk about marital breakups and mm-hmm. crashing cars and, and whilst all that is all sad, but nobody seems to talk about the actual physical fallout, you know. And no, I wasn't having showers. No, I wasn't washing my hair. No, I wasn't washing clothes. And I'm someone who is very much spick and span, but that went out the window. That went out the window. Clean house? No, not at all. Thank and God the old me is back. Yeah, there you go. What was it that, that finally struck a chord with you and you thought this has to stop? It didn't, actually. It was the ambulance was called to me. I was literally, I had 24 hours to live, 48 hours to live. I would have been in, a, in an alcoholic coma that night if the ambulance hadn't been called. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I ended up in hospital for a long time. And I am lucky when I consider myself very lucky because the amount I drank would absolutely kill an elephant and I'm not proud of that but that's what I did and, and, know, h- and how is recovery for you is is it is it I mean we hear about 12 steps we hear about AA we mm-hmm. hear about you know other mm-hmm. forms of treatment and it's very much mm-hmm. not even day by day but hour by hour mm-hmm. you're six, sometimes minute by minute six years you're in recovery now Coming up in six years, yeah. And, and how is it? Um, well, first of all, it's wonderful. I don't want to drink ever again. Um, is it difficult? Yeah, it can be. I mean, I'm going through medical stuff at the moment. And, you know, if somebody said to me yesterday coming out of the doctor, do you want to go right to fine wines or left to home? Uh, you know, I'd nearly be looking at fine wines for half an hour. But that's okay as long as I don't act on it. You know, mm. I'm still human. And I still have to live a life on life's terms. And for me, you know, you're going to have bad days and good days, you know. Uh, I don't have that crutch of alcohol to help me through it. So I deal with it in other ways, you know. And I have a great support network. I have a wonderful family. Um, you know, it's it, people who stuck by me, they really did. You know, I've had to put the work in myself as well. Of course. Carol, you mentioned a number of times the physical effects on Mm. on your body. Are you still living with physical effects? Yeah, I'm I'm on a walking stick. I have alcohol neuropathy in my legs. And And for those of us who don't know what alcohol neuropathy is, maybe you might explain. The the nerve endings are dead in in your legs. My legs feel like concrete, even though they're skinny and everything else, you know, but they feel like concrete. Uh, They're cold. Um, I could scratch my leg and it could bleed and I wouldn't feel it. So I've got to be very, very careful of my walk. I, my, my left leg can go at any time and just, I could fall. But that's okay. You know, I've, I've managed it up to now. Um, Do you know the point, Carol? Can you pinpoint any point in time when it went from just, as you said, having the occasional drink maybe mm-hmm. when you were out to becoming... A, a real problem is there is you know if if you if 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 there's somebody listening to to the show right now mm-hmm. who's maybe you know ah oh, look I don't really drink that much ah oh, no it's not really much of a problem ah oh, you know the husband's given out to me or the kids are given out to me or look you know I didn't have a shower for the last four or five days either it's grand mm-hmm. what would you mm-hmm. say to that person? 
I understand where they're coming from. Um, because you're, you're in denial and it's something that you don't want to admit to. And some people don't know how to reach out or who to reach out to, you know. And it's very hard to, I suppose, admit to something like that. It really is. Um, and it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. Alcohol has no bounds, you know. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's taking that step to reach out. It's just taking that first step. It may not be easy, but it is so worthwhile. So worthwhile. You know, it's not an easy road. Um, it's a tough road, but it's definitely worthwhile. You know, I and in see terms, life in a different way now. In, in terms of services, Carol, uh, and I appreciate, you know, it, it maybe wasn't, and ha- had it been up to you, and, you know, you may not be here talking to me now. No, no, but, I definitely wouldn't have been. But, you know, again, in terms of services and in terms of the help that was available to you and that was made available to you, mm. did you mm. have to go searching or, or was it there and freely available and easy to come across? It was there. And plus, I have the most wonderful GP in the world. Um, but apart from that, there are services there, but there are people who do not work them. Do you understand? It, 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 it's like they they go and try and get help, but they don't continue with it. Mm. That's the problem, you know. Um, and and I this goes for anybody that's in addiction of any sort. You have to have that big word inside in your head, want. You know, it's very easy to blame services. It's very easy to blame lack of this and lack of that. But at the end of the day, you have to want. And when you want, it'll drive you on. And that's what I believe. That That's just me personally. And you mentioned that you have good people around you, that you always did and that they're still mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know, I... I how do, how is your relationship with those people? Do you still feel a, a stigma? You know, are you upset with yourself and annoyed with yourself for allowing this to continue for so long? I'm I'm curious as to how the relationships change when you are in recovery. Do they trust yeah. you that you're going to stay in recovery? Do you trust yourself? They do. First of all, they do. They do. And I have their support. I mean, you know, I have two children. Well, they're not children. They're adults now. But, you know, they've stuck by me and my family, my extended family has stuck by me. And uh, Do I trust myself? I never want to go there and test it. That's the only answer I can give to that. I never, ever want to test it, you know. And and the guy you down there, the, the doctor, you know, I, I was just, I was driving along the road and I thought, this is what it's all about. People generally talk about the, the consumption, how much, mm. um, crashing cars, losing marriages and all that. Mm. But nobody really comes out and talks about the physical demise of one's body, whether you're male or female. You know, and I feel there's more of a stigma attached to females. Um, if they, you know, talking about maybe not being clean and not being tidy and not being whatever, not mm. looking after themselves. Mm. I think women would definitely have more of a stigma with that than men. That's just my opinion. But look, it is what it is. And that's what I did, you know, and, and to come this far, it's great. Well, well done, Carol. And um, as you say, it's a, it's a sometimes an hour by hour process for you. But there you go. You've heard that now from Carol's perspective, somebody who's been through it, came to death's door, six years in recovery. It's hard, but she says it's fantastic. You know, and then do we minimise the stories of people like Carol by going, ah, look, it's grand. It's just what we do here in Ireland.
We want to know what you think. 087188 is the WhatsApp number to get in touch with the programme today. Tara Duggan in for Nile Boyle. And we're discussing drink, Ireland's relationship with drink. You know, are, are we the victims of scaremongering or really do we need to take a look at what we consume in terms of alcohol and the effects that it has on us as individuals personally, but also on the wider society? One of the stark figures, and there were a lot of figures uh, when Una McKinney was on from um, f- uh, with with us at the start of the program, was we were hearing a lot about hospital beds in the last year and a bit because of the COVID crisis. One in five ICU beds at any point in time in this country has a person in it directly because of alcohol misuse. We heard very powerful testimony from um, Carol just a moment ago. Tony joins me now on the line on the Nile Boylan show on Ireland's Classic Hits. Tony, you also uh, are, are in recovery. I am, yeah. I'm in recovery. But I'm in recovery, I would say, about 20 years now. Um, it, it went from me stopping and then starting again and stopping and starting. I was married um, to a very abusive man. Um, but it was a very secretive abusive man in the sense that he would never hit me from the, the neck. It was always the neck down. or So no one would see anything on my face. And um, it was mental, very emotional abuse. So I, my nerves constantly were at me. So I hid drink in the house. Mm-hmm. And we lived in, um, I was in New York at the time, and we lived in an apartment and there was a basement and um, where you did your washing, you know, the washer and dryer. And I hid it down there. And I was up and down to that box of wine every time he was there. When he wasn't there, I never touched it. Interesting. Never. You know, uh, no, never. And um, in the end, what I did was I ended up going on to vodka because I could get like a five gallon, um, a five gallon uh, bottle of uh, uh, vodka for like $14. And I used to keep, or sorry, five litre. Mm-hmm. And I used to keep that and hide it. And um, we moved to Scotland. And in 2008, I um Basically, what he did was he took my kids away from me and everything. So I massively hit the drink. Yeah. Massively hit the drink. And um, it was cider I ended up going on over here because the price of drink, we were talking about that earlier. Um, it was so easy for me to get like a two, three litre bottle of like, I think it was Frosty Jack. And I used to pretend it was champagne. I mean, that's how sad it was. I was in such a bad state. Mm-hmm. And um, I ended up being homeless and everything. Um, but I think the thing that, that, that um, is the biggest thing with women, because right now I counsel women. Um, I've worked with Women's Aid and I've okay. worked with um, uh, another company over here that uh, is called CARDS, C-A-R-D-S. It deals with uh, people that have alcoholism. And um, a lot of the women, is, they're in the same situation as me, that it was, it was abuse. Okay, we're um, actually going to be I, we're actually going to be discussing that topic actually uh, coming up in a little while in the program. Just you know, Carol talked about how delighted she was now, how hard it is. It's oh, a daily yeah. challenge, but yeah. worth it. I, I'm I'm what I'm getting from both of you that in both of your cases it was because of huge emotional holes in your life that you drank. Big time, big time. When I was um, 19, I lived in Dublin and um, I owned a restaurant, part owned a restaurant in Kalini called Jade's. And um, I never drank. We lived over it. I never drank. 
And so it's nothing to do with accessibility. It's to do to do with your life. What what message would you have? I, I asked Carol the same question and briefly, Tony, because unfortunately I have to go to news now in a moment. What message would you have for anyone who's listening to the programme today who's well, in some sort of a similar situation? Well, the same, the way I describe my situation, I can guarantee you there, there are hundreds of women sitting there going, that's me right now. You're, it's called a lace curtain drinker. You're drinking behind... Um, a lace curtain. You don't go out into a pub and make a show of yourself. It's in the house. And like Carol said, you don't do anything. The house is upside down and you don't care. I would advise women in my situation, it's, it's it, first of all, it's, as everybody says, it's about yourself. You have to admit it to yourself. Every time I came out of recovery, I was like, oh, no, no, never going to do it again. I knew in my own head I was going home to a bottle of wine. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's until you actually sit down, you need counselling. People need counselling. And, and, and to be honest with themselves, I think Tony as well. Look, for anyone who is listening, and Tony reckons it's, it's hundreds of you or possibly thousands, if you do want to reach out to somebody and, and talk about this, the HSE Drugs and Alcohol Free Phone Helpline number 1-800-459-459. 1-800-459-459. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits.